0: Recorded at Get-A-Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. A a Get-A-Grip management production and in association with the Get-A-Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast.
1: This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Max lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With AreaMax lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Evluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies.
0: Welcome back, darkness lovers, to the Restoring Darkness show. I have again, I'm honored to have John Bullock co hosting today with me. With the great and powerful Professor Russell G. Foster. Professor Foster is the head of Oxford Newfield Laboratory of Ophthalmology, the founder the founder and director of the Sleep and Circadian Research Institute, and is a fellow of the, I'm going to mess this one up, Brazenose College Oxford, Brazenose College something like that his, he'll, he'll correct me in a second his research is, addresses how circadian rhythms and sleep are generated and regulated and what happens when these systems fail as a result of societal pressures aging and disease a key finding has been his discovery and characterization of an unrecognized light detecting system within the eye that regulates circadian rhythms and sleep most recently the translation of these fi- and the most recently the translation of these findings to the clinic yes we're using the research i love that for his work Professor Foster was elected to the Fellowship of the Royal Society in 2008, the Royal Society of Biology in 2011, and the Academy of Medical Sciences in 2013. Russell was honored by being appointed as a Commander of the British Empire in 2015 for Services to Science. He has been a member of the Governing Council of the Royal Society and he has established and led for six years the, uh, the Royal Society Public Engagement Committee. He was the chair of the Cheltenham Science Festival for six years and is currently a trustee of the Science Museum. Professor Foster has published over 280 scientific papers. That's a lot. And has received multiple national and international awards, including most recently the Daylight Prize. He has co-written four popular science books and um, and his fifth sole author for Penguin entitled Lifetime, The New Sciences of the Body Clock and How It Can Revolutionize Your Sleep and Health, published in May 2022. John Bullock's going to kick this one off with the question is, but questions, but welcome to the Restoring Darkness podcast, Professor Russell Foster. I'm yeah. really delighted to tell you.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, Russell, it's, it's good to be with you again. Um, and not forgetting, of course, that uh, you were also awarded per, uh, the Lux Person of the Year by the UK lighting industry. So, yeah. never mind being commanders of the British Empire. We, we
3: were there, we, we were there first, you know. Uh, we're the important guys. And it's on. It's on. It's on right above my desk. I'm, I'm really, really <laughs> honoured to receive it. Yeah. Don't put
2: the camera on it. We don't need to see it. Um, but I do. But here's some. Here's the serious thing. Here, um, the lighting. The lighting industry is 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 a, is a is a is a is a fantastic sort of stew of technology and science and art and creativity and a huge amount of nonsense and every time somebody comes up with a with a, a new idea a good idea there will be people running chasing you down the street saying can we have some of that can we have some of that now i wonder to what extent over the past 5 6 years um, your approach has has been tempered by an industry that has been far too uh, vociferous, if you like, uh, voracious um, to take your research and turn it into something that they can sell.
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, John. And I find it very frustrating that we have human centric lighting and um, which is reported to be entirely based in science. And it isn't. We simply don't know enough to, to generate human-centric lighting. Now we've shuffled forward, um, but you know there are so much with with, with the with the toolkit, for example. But it, it's based upon a whole mass of assumptions. So, for example, we know about these these new photoreceptors within the eye. They're maximally sensitive in the blue part of the spectrum. However, they are regulated to an extent that we don't fully understand by the cones and the rods. It may well be that some cones could be inhibitory and some excitatory, and the rods may be um, excitatory at some intensities, and yet the sort of the, the equations all add this lot together and come up with a with a with an output, and and so I am frustrated because. I think it's misleading uh, and we need, I I know scientists always say we need more research, but I think if we're genuinely gonna get human-centric lighting, we've got to have more research because it's also very confused. You you have one group of scientists saying, oh, actually, we're really sensitive to light. So the sort of thing that you see from a a Kindle or or, or whatever is gonna shift the clock. Well, actually, the evidence base for that is really tiny. And if it has Hmm. an effect, It's going to be really small Um, and and, and say, well, you know, we can get sort of um, an effect with 50 or 100 lux. Well, yes, but only if you give it for six and a half hours. And so we haven't fully worked out the dynamics of light intensity versus duration versus wavelength. And and assumptions are being made and they're Mm -hmm. saying they're based in science and it's too preliminary. And so Mm -hmm. I, I share with you, John, the frustration because, you know, there's good science out there, but it's not enough.
2: Do you think that, that my, my side of the fence has, has learned more? Are, are you getting more cooperation from, the, from the, the industry, from the technology side of things? Or are they still sitting there just waiting for you to come out with the next explosive <laughs> headline?
3: Well, it's, it's really, um, really, again, quite frustrating because I said, look, we know what to do. You know, we've got to work out the ecology of human um, light uh, exposure and what it's doing. And, and you know the, the technology to do that is there and we say well, to do that will take three years and it'll cost this amount and when you tell them how much it'll cost they are out of the door as fast as they can run <laughs> um, and and so I think again John you, you know you're right they're waiting for us to come up with the latest sort of set of um, data but but in my experience and, and, and others may argue differently um, they are not willing to pay for that data at this stage, yeah. which is a great shame. I mean, because, you know, there's some great people out there and there's great organizations, you know, Philips, for example. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I feel that, that I, I don't, just, Michael, let me yeah, just go, sort of finish this go, little go, bit go. Off and then, and then yeah. it's over to you. Yeah. The reason I wanted to start with that is mm-hmm. that I, I think okay. we, I think the industry has done a disservice to the science um Hmm. this is and some of this goes back longer than this particular phase of human-centric lighting the idea that oh we can sell fluorescent fittings with a blue tube in it because it will (laughs) wake people up i just Hmm. suggested they just fed everybody amphetamines because it would probably be cheaper (laughs) and more effective (laughs) and we have not we've not helped and what it means is that we've got a group of and I'm going to I'm going to declare myself here now. We've got a group of people who are not committed to a range of light fittings, who are looking at the work that Russell's doing and looking at the work that is all the work that is surrounding like that. And we are now saying, now we need to get as far as we can with what we've got. Now, what have we got? And it's not, it not necessarily in a catalog. It's about if we, if we do this, maybe we can do that. If I talk to an architect about whether I can get some daylight like this, and then I can use some artificial lighting and a little bit of control strategy like that, maybe then we can start to see things hmm. moving. Hmm. And, and so... The, it, it's about, you know, I've, I've sensed Russell's frustration in, in, in some of these conversations mm. that we've had. Um, but I think underneath all of that, I think we are moving forward. I think the, I think the right people are, 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 getting together with that. Um, and that brings us into probably why we're here today. And that is the whole issue around the lack of light mm. in Yes, in terms of nighttime. And those conversations where we're now having those conversations about is there too much blue in a street light? Can we turn down our street lighting levels? Do we need any light at all? So, mm. Mike, I'm going to pass this one back to you now because you could, you you are the. You, you the, opened the the a king can of, of worms.
0: You, open, you yeah, opened a can of worms. And I, I just wanted to jump in. I, wanna, I don't even like the word <laughs> human centric lighting. Okay. I don't like that terminology. Um, the second thing is. Um, what the, I think there's a, a, a false equivalence happening between what researchers are saying that they've discovered, perhaps, and what lighting people um can actually do practically in the field a lot of the things i read you know that you know a thousand lux those people have never been in a paint booth at a factory if you ever go into a paint booth that has a thousand lux that's not a place where any human would ever want to sit and do work or play with toys or anything like that it's in vertical lux like that is in, in an insane amount of electric light um but what i would ask you russell is in that my observation over doing this podcast for five or six years and talking to people is that the lighting industry is able to remove damage from lighting so getting rid of flicker um, getting rid of vibration and noise um, you know these things that that we know oh if, if the lights are flickering they're causing damage this idea that somehow we could change that to a positive Um, where we are now improving health outcomes or productivity or one of these measures. I'm very, very hesitant of that, you know, those types of claims. How do you feel about that kind of comparison between damage and, and, um, and now making positive benefits?
3: Yeah, I I, I I, will answer that in just a second. I just want to follow up with one thing that, that John and she said, Michael, as well. I think also the scientific community could be a bit clearer about the sorts of messages that we want to say. Mm-hmm. And I think there's increasingly a bit of overhype, um, not sometimes by the scientists. But when the press offices of the universities get hold of this stuff, it goes from, you know, a mild effect to we're going to change the world type stuff. Um, And and so you know, I I think we have to take some responsibility for this. Um, Now going back to your question, Michael, so can we do something in terms of artificial lighting that will be helpful to humans? And for me, that's an unqualified yes. Because the closer we get to mimicking natural light, which is, after all, what we evolved under, and we've only been detached from it for a relatively short period of time, the greater the chance that we can actually use that light for benefit. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I see that as a as an exciting, uh, as a exciting view, uh, exciting way forward. Yeah, um, it's not there yet by a long way, but people are hmm. thinking about it. And, and of course, dynamic lighting systems. So, so I know there are some organizations, some architects who are building sensors, putting sensors on the roof and then are trying to mimic in the internal environment those dynamic changes that are going on, you know, uh, uh, ch- mm. changes in light intensity as so we get cloud cover, keeping it at, a, at an appropriate intensity. And I think that's that's exciting. The impact of that on an individual's biology, we don't know. And that's where we need to get the data.
0: And I think that's where there's a, a good segue here because to the darkness piece of this, story, this, this show is called Restoring Darkness. A lot of what when I speak to people about circadian um, benefits and they, they talk about, you know, improved productivity, improve this and, you know, uh, strengthen immune system and so on and so forth. I think this is a, is a secondary result as a, for be, from better sleep. So I think that what they're talking about is the circadian rhythm helps you sleep deeper, better, and for the appropriate amount of time. And as such, these other productivity benefits consistently emerge on the long-term basis because the person is sleeping better. That's my instinct from all the people now, I've talked to. Am I right about yeah. that?
3: Am I off? Or Yes and no. I mean, I, I think what, what you've highlighted, Michael, is a really, really important point. Which And I think it's very often... Difficult to disentangle circadian rhythm disruption from sleep disruption. So, so we've coined the the, the term hmm. sleep and circadian rhythm disruption, or SCARD, because it doesn't then try and say this is due to sleep disruption, this is due to circadian disruption, because the two are so inextricably hmm. linked. We're, we're now, I mean, one of the recent papers we we published showed how uh, how long you've slept encoded by uh, levels of a brain neurohormone actually feed back and change the photosensitivity of the clock. So there's a great example of, of how sleep duration and weight duration actually influence the clock. So I think it's easier uh, not not to try and, and say this is clock this is sleep but to say it's the product of, of, of both and it'll be of a ranging uh importance but but it's a coverall term that we tend to tend to use so for example um we know that uh, um, for example uh, light at dusk will delay the clock uh light um, uh, in the morning will advance the clock Um, And that will ripple through a whole range of different circadian systems, whether it be hormone release, whether it be uh, decision-making skills, whether it be a response to stress. Um, And of course, that light-dark exposure will influence the timing of the sleep-wake cycle. So there's a good example where the two are completely and inextricably um, uh, uh, linked. But, and I just want to
0: clarify, because this is my own understanding, and tell me if I'm wrong. Um, the proof we have is from natural sunlight, not from electric lighting systems.
3: Um, uh, broadly speaking, that's correct. Yes. Okay, so, so going outside so, in the so morning
0: and viewing the sun and having it go on your face, kicks something in the go, and we think we can try to do that with electric light somehow, but we're not sure.
3: Well, Well, we've got some reasonable data showing, for example, in non-seasonal depression. So a group showed that, 30. I mean, it was a really, really nice set of experiments, and they compared uh, in individuals with the de- with depression. Um, they compared a placebo, they compared that to Prozac, uh, mm. light, and light was uh, 10,000 lux for 30 minutes in the morning, uh, no and yeah, and light plus Prozac. And after two weeks, the um. Uh, The light uh, treatment was reducing depression significantly above the placebo. But it wasn't until eight weeks that Prozac was actually having a different uh, uh, showing a difference between placebo. And then by the time of eight weeks, light was much more effective than Prozac. What was interesting, what was really interesting is that if you added light and Prozac together, they were additive, suggesting that the pathways Uh, that Prozac was acting on and light were different. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there's a good example where artificial light has been shown, you know, to be similar to morning light in that uh, it's had a a direct and clear and quantitative impact upon non-seasonal depression. So I think we 10,000
0: lux is uh, just for those lit that aren't in the lighting industry, 10,000 lux is um, a hell of a lot of light.
3: Well, yes and no. I mean, if we if we think about outside, <laughs> if we think about outside, then uh, y- you know, even in the UK, we can get up to a hundred thousand lux um, uh, in, in in the uh, in, in the middle of the day. Because, of course, it's not the middle of the day that's important; it's around about twilight, and there we're mm. in the sort of ten thousand, two thousand, ten thousand lux range, um, w- w- which is which is essentially. The, the sorts of intensities that you need to give the clock a really good it to regulate it. And of course, when we were all agricultural workers, you know, and, and it's True. really fascinating that, you know, since 1800, well, since 1800, the population has gone from about 95% being in agriculture hmm. now to, in the UK, I looked up the figures recently, one to 2% of the population are in agriculture oh, and there. therefore working outside. Yeah, and, and working outside. So So we've become, in a sense, cave dwellers. Within a very mm-hmm. short period.
0: That's an time. interesting. Yes. Let me before I turn it back over to John, I'm just gonna ask you one thing. There's a lot of evidence about light. Do we have the same evidence for darkness studies? Are there any studies on people where people where there was a controlled exposure to darkness or comparison to light or anything like that where people were given more darkness at certain times or whatever and it showed an improvement?
3: Not quite in that way. I mean what Elsiven Summerin did was of course um, compare a dim light environment and a brighter light environment in the nursing home environment. Mm. And so so if you go into some nursing homes it's not as bad as it was but you can go into the television room and of course in in, in many nursing homes those individuals grew up with a television where you had to close the curtains to get a good signal. So sure. you def- you default to those behaviors so you go into the TV room and it can be 30 lux or 20 lux mm. in, in the middle of the day mm-hmm. so what us, us did it was increase the brightness in the day areas darkness in the bedrooms and partially consolidated the sleep wake cycle of these individuals but critically those showing mild dementia he was able to improve levels of uh, dementia improve cognition by almost 10% so it's another good example where where removing darkness by increasing light um has been shown to have a, a an impact upon sleep wake stability and the health benefits thereof, but also an empirical measure which was which was cognition. John, just before that was Dr. Mark Ray's research you said? No, that was um House van Sammeren. Okay. Uh,
2: it, it's it's been one of the one of the uh, the curious things again i i, I will talk out, out from my industry that we've concentrated on the the um on the access to artificial light maybe it's got something to do that's what we sell uh but we haven't had this the the other side of the i don't know if it's a seesaw anyway really but anyway the other end of the day where i've heard lighting people say we don't talk about that because it's nothing to do with us. Darkness is nothing to do with us.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, well, uh, okay. I get, you know, you're selling control systems, my friend. So, so why isn't darkness something to do with you? Mm. But in terms mm. of it, when you, when you, when you compare this, you know, to, to the, to the the 19th century agricultural worker compared yep. to the, the lives that we live today, it is clearly, it, to take the holistic view, you have got to take both, have you? You've got to look at what's happening first thing in the morning. You've got to look at what's happening last thing at night and, and, and in, in order to keep that thing in
3: balance. Is that right? I, I completely agree. And in fact, I mean, I, I remember giving a, a talk a while ago, you know, talking about the importance of, of the, the, the dusk, uh, uh, dawn uh, exposure to light. And of course, it may, in fact, may not matter much how much you're getting in the middle of the day um because that's not Mm. when the clock is interested in light it largely ignores it and Mm. so all this energy going in to produce wonderful internal lighting systems i mean i'm being slightly provocative but i'm i'm also it may well be the light you get you know when you get up when you're cleaning your teeth in the morning, when you have your, your shower and that first sort of hour or two after you've got up and that, that two hours, three hours or so in the, in, the, in the evening before bed, you know, before it gets dark. I mean, one, one thing uh, which I, I, we did a study a few years ago on, on young university students all, all over the world um, and, you know, the concept of the chronotype morningness versus eveningness. And what we're able to show in that study uh, and, it, and it worked beautifully was that those young people who had a delayed owl-like chronotype were missing morning light, which would advance the clock and getting lots of evening light or late afternoon evening light, which would delay the clock. So a good example about the timing of light exposure, not just its intensity, not just its wavelength, not just its duration, but its timing. and to my knowledge, I don't think that's integrated into the way lighting systems, uh, you know, uh, are, are developed. And of course, there's a great example of, you know, of, of its impact upon uh, uh, the sleep wake behavior of young people. Hmm. Uh,
2: yes, and again, the the the, the work life pattern of, of all of us. Uh, I, I I think I I did stand up at at, at uh, the Frankfurt Lighten building and suggested that we should all go back to agricultural working
0: hours. <laughs> yep.
2: And and yep. I, I was laughed out of the room. I can't imagine why, but there were lots of people in the room. I said, John, I don't think we're going to go back to that anytime soon. And you go, well, why not? It's a construct yes. like any other.
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's so we- interesting. I was sorry. I was, I was talking to somebody um, just just yesterday. They were saying, well, you know, they were talking about school start times and a whole range of other things, and in fact, the our wing time say so why is eight till four nine till five where has that come from and and, and somebody just tell me why hmm. um, and of course nobody could and so it emphasizes your point John that we've developed these st- structures and rules if you like hmm. but without an evidence base. <laughs>
2: It's it, extraordinary. And of course, our summer holidays are still uh, done on the assumption that 11 and 12 year olds are going to go out into the fields to harvest the corn during August. Uh, yes. Don't see a lot <laughs> of that around here. Um, no. this, there's a lot. There's, there's been a lot of popular, um, lit- popular scientific literature, if, that, if that's not a, 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 an oxymoron, uh, around sleep and mm-hmm. and what we need to do and what we really ought not to be doing is, is that something that that you support uh, this this idea that, well, you know a paperback book that will tell you how to sleep better
3: uh uh well having just published a book called lifetime um uh, <laughs> which unpacks the sort of the science of the of circadian rhythms and sleep and then provides evidence-based guidelines now why did i write that when there's a pretty full market um nobody really addressed the circadian side but the thing that was irritating the hell out of me was the fact that we've got the sergeant majors of sleep screaming you must get eight hours of sleep Hmm. Um, you must get uninterrupted sleep you must do this and all the rest of it and anybody who i mean just thinks about this is that sleep is like shoe size one size does not fit all and mm. uh people get so we've raised awareness of sleep and then we've terrified the bejesus out of everybody about if they're not getting the right type of sleep and that's reinforced by apps that don't work and are deeply misleading i mean i had a chat before um lockdown came up to me and said i don't get eight hours of sleep am i going to die and i <laughs> oh, said well, and i said <laughs> And I said, "Well, I can guarantee that you're going to die, but it's not necessarily because you're not getting eight hours of sleep." Um, mm. And and so what this so so the book is the science. And, and incidentally, I, I know this is now going to going to destroy it in terms of sales. Uh, there are 921 references, and and I you know they're just using a small little little number so that individuals can consult the science behind the statements. So people, you know, because of open access, you can get those papers. And you can look at how good the quality of of the studies are. So I'm I'm delighted that there's greater awareness about sleep, the importance of sleep, why we need to prioritize sleep. But what we haven't had is this um, uh, uh, work out what your sleep needs are, be aware that they change, um, embrace the sleep that we get. And as you age, you're going to have a different type of sleep, but different isn't necessarily bad. And we haven't got that important message out there. So, you know, you've got elderly people saying, oh, God, I wish I had the sleep that I had when I was 30. Well, actually, I now know I know people who have never slept better in their lives. In fact, a very close family member. uh, We knew not to call before 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, and they. Were fantastic. They had embraced, you know, and the fact after after retirement, people's sleep clearly is different. But actually, released from all the demands of a job and parenthood and all the rest of it, they've flipped back into this kind of sleep that they want. And so, so yeah, I think I think we we've done a bad job in in sort of terrifying people about their sleep, um, and what we needed, and which is why I write, wrote Lifetime was actually saying, look, come on. You know, work, work it out for yourself. These are some things that you can do. You've got to prioritize sleep. It's an essential part of our biology. But, you know, in, in the natural range is from six hours to ten, eleven hours. Hmm. And, you know, this eight hours is an average. You know, it's, a, it's like I know hmm. we're taking a slight um, off piste here, but it's okay. it's the, the, the female menstrual cycle is 28 days. Well, it is in fifteen percent of women, but the Mm. range is huge, and we don't talk about the the normal, healthy range. So people think, Oh Mm. God, you know, my cycle length is you know thirty days or twenty five. You know, I'm clearly there's something wrong with me. No, it just is variable, and uh, we've got to get that variability um, uh, across, and people need to embrace it. While I'm while I'm on this kick, um, I mean, my my the problem I have with sleep apps, uh, and it's worth bearing in mind none. Are endorsed by any of the the, the sleep academies. Hmm. None are FDA approved. They're great for telling you roughly when you went to sleep, roughly when you woke up, and and how many times you woke up in the night. So that's useful information. In the same way that if you want to lose weight, you change your behaviour, you weigh yourself in the morning, you see a mm-hmm. change in weight that feeds back and says, "Great, what I'm doing there." Is is getting me the extra bit of sleep I need, or whatever it is, and so they could be useful for that. But by telling you you've had a bad night's sleep, you haven't had restorative mm, sleep. You know, yes. what, what, I mean, one app a friend was telling me recently said you forty percent of your sleep was restorative last night. Well, that's biologically impossible, <laughs> <you> know, based <laughs> upon you know slow wave sleep. Um, so, so, I mean, again, I think I think um, there's a whole industry that's that's grown up. Uh, based upon people's anxieties. And actually, Mm. it's not rocket science. How do you know if you're not getting enough sleep? Well, are you not able to feel
0: tired? (laughs)
3: Yeah, if you feel tired? Yes. I mean, our our grandparents were telling us this. Uh, You know, you're not not functioning optimally. It takes you a long time to wake up. You need an alarm clock. You need a person. You're oversleeping on free days. You know, you're craving caffeinated drinks. You know, people Mm. tell you you're becoming more irritable and less empathetic. Those are the sorts of Hues, and then we mm. think, okay, well, what can I do about it? Sorry, mm. a long answer there, um, John. But he, all, all
2: powerful stuff, though, though, Russell. Um, sure. We, we, we have another stick that 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 uh, has been picked up that to, to to beat uh, to beat lighting people with, and that is the <laughs> um, street light. Street lighting <laughs> entering bedrooms, destroying mm. people's lives, and yeah.
3: um, light trespass. Well, yeah, I mean, As we, yeah. The, the argument there is again, it's not going to be unless you're standing really close to a street light, it's not going to have much effect on, on the clock. It can influence alertness. Um, and there we have some you know pretty good data about levels of light for alertness um, and actually relatively low light coming in can increase alertness and delay sleep. Um, and so yeah it makes sense to try and minimize light from street lamps uh, uh coming into the bedroom for example so blackout blinds that sort of thing makes sense um mm-hmm. so i but, support but, that. We,
2: but 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 it's not a circadian issue
3: i i, I don't think we've got any evidence that it's a circadian mm-hmm. issue at all mm, yeah. and, and i think this is where it gets really confused because you know it's it's um if you what we know about devices like smartphones is that um They will alert the brain, particularly a smartphone, because you're doing your emails, you're doing your your social media, you're checking who the next British Prime Minister is going to be, if you're that way inclined, um, uh, and 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 all that, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's really alerting. Um, I think it's worth reflecting upon um, the study from Harvard that looked at um, Kindles or uh, or light emitting uh, e books. So what they did was to um, get people to look at an at a Kindle for at its brightest intensity for four hours on five consecutive nights. And after that, sleep was delayed just statistically by 10 minutes. Uh, And as one of my colleagues said, um, well, it may be statistically significant, but it's biologically meaningless. Um, Now, what's interesting is that the sleep-wake behavior was, was barely affected. If you look at melatonin, and this is the neurohormone from the pineal, and what people do is often measure melatonin as a surrogate measure for sleep-wake behavior, it did have an effect upon the timing of melatonin, but it didn't have an effect upon sleep-wake behavior, which is two important things. One is melatonin is not a sleep hormone, it's a mild modulator. And and to use it as a surrogate measure of sleep, wake behavior is inappropriate. And if you look Hmm. at the studies, most of them are using melatonin, either shifting or suppression as a surrogate measure for what's going on with the clock. And they're different outputs.
2: Hmm. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm just going to ask one more, Michael, and I'm going to put it back to you. But this this is this. This I think is is, is a bit important. Tell me what you think about melanopic looks then.
3: Well, it's it's the first attempt to try and get a sense of how bright this would appear to the photosensitive retinal ganglion cells that are regulating the clock, Uh, but not only the clock, a whole bunch of other structures within the brain. So what we know is that there are at least five different morphological types of melanopsin expressing ganglion cells. They're projecting to a whole range of different structures in the brain, the master clock, but other structures as well, uh, including the arousal structures. Um, And we know that the gene, with some work that we did, is alternately spliced to produce different sorts of melanopsin. So just saying, here's the 480 nomogram, and this is how it would appear to a melanopsin-expressing ganglion cell, it's, it's a huge oversimplification. Um, uh, because also we don't know how those melanopsin ganglion cells are being modulated by the rods and the cones. We don't know what will happen to the rods and cone input under different light intensities or different light durations. So giving us a sense of how you might activate a melanopsin ganglion cell, it's the first shuffle forward. But to try try and base lighting systems on melanopsin lux alone, for me, it's premature. I, 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 now, this makes me sound, oh, you know, like some grumpy old bugger. You know, I, I, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 well, basically, depends you talk. Depends who you talk to. <laughs> I I think this is great. You know, people are moving forward and it it will get better and better and better, but it's not there yet. And for the lighting industry to grab melanopic lux and say, aha, this is the new industry standard. It's way too early. Right, Michael, over
2: to you.
0: Yeah, there's just a million directions to go. So we're on the Restoring Darkness <laughs> podcast, but I'm going in any direction I want here, and that's okay. But, you know, it, 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 you seem to be referencing over and over that the lighting industry, individuals, with all this kind of information overload that's going on, it seems like so many of us have just enough information to be dangerous, Russell. And, you know, it, it, like, I remember I was bit by a tick, okay, saying I got Lyme disease, and then it got treated, but I became paranoid. And so I searched out all these different labs around the world that did tech-borne illness testing, and my doctor finally sat, sat me down. I said, "Do you feel good?" I said, "Yeah, I feel okay now." She's like, "Don't do any more testing then." And she's like, "I'm like, why? Well, we could figure out what if I have this or da 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 da." And she's like, "No, no, 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 no. That's enough testing. You, if you feel better now, we treated it with the with the antibiotics. If you feel good now, you're not going to test anymore because you can you can keep testing and testing, and there's going to be different indicators, and all these little things are just." They're just indicators of something, but if we don't have any symptoms to treat, then you're not sick. And so it was interesting. She kind of talked me down from the ledge, and people are running around with these devices on, and people are trying to do things where they think, Russell, that they're helping people. And one of those things was, and I'm sure these things are great, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the universities, but... There was a study on these blue light systems for emergencies on on campuses. I can't remember where I read it. But, you know, they would take the kids around. They'd be showing the parents a tour of the campus. And they'd say, and if you ever get into, you know, a rapist attacks you or somebody attacks you, there's one of these blue things that you can go push a button and, you know, the police will be on the phone. But actually, this created fear in people to the extent that the actual fear resulting from that like really, do we need this here at this beautiful university in the middle of nowhere? They're every hundred feet. There's attackers potentially between the, the cafeteria and the dorm, and yep. you know it was almost like the the result the result of that was to generate this fear and suspicion of everybody all the time, and that was more unhealthy than perhaps the the reason why they did it. So you know how do we how do we get the signal out of the noise here? There's so much information. Yep. How do we do well, it?
3: As a- as, a, as a, an educator, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's evidence-based education. We've got to get clear lines out there, guidelines out there. And in fact, what I've been asking for for some time uh, is essentially an evidence-based authoritative website that people can go to for this kind of stuff because there's weird stuff all over the internet. Um, and, and perhaps we need a government to invest and say, okay, let's get the best minds onto this, this, this problem and, uh, and in this particular sector. And let's try and get some answers out there with the citations and the references associated with them. I mean, you know, going back to the, you know, it's got to be blue light. Well, the rudiments of photobiology, you know, a photo pigment uh, has an absorption spectrum. It it has maximal absorbance at, let's say, 480 nanometers in the blue part of the spectrum, which is where melanopsin um, absorbs. But actually, uh, it goes down, you know, it's a bell-shaped response. If the light is bright enough, it'll absorb any old wavelength. And so this obsession with blue light um, is also, I think, a little bit frustrating. White light, after all, if we go out, it's White light—it's a—it's a—it's a broad spectrum um, uh, 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 exposure, um, and so um, I, you know—it's—it's it's just just understanding how photoreceptors work. They're photon counters. They—they—they're they're statistically more likely to get something at four eighty, let's say, than they will at five forty. But they can still be activated by five forty light. It's only when the lights become really dim that mm. wavelength matters. Uh, and it's again, it's part of this. How do we titrate wavelength, color, duration, and and brightness, irradiance.
0: It's funny. I was talking to a, another. I'll throw it over to you, John. I'll just make a comment, Maybe If you if you want to if you want to laugh at or comment on it, you can. I was talking to a colleague that runs another association, lighting association. Any any, we were talking about this issue, restoring darkness, and and how it's a p- potential bonanza for the lighting industry, and nobody really realizes that. You know that that means every outdoor light is now in play again, and this is huge financial possible financial bonanza is all i can say if we get this right and we know how to do it and we can get the results we want so he said to me okay one line what have you learned from being the host of the restoring darkness podcast one thing just one sentence i said humans are not a nocturnal species and you know it's an it's like th- like that needs to be in people's heads. Oh no, I'm a nighthawk. Uh, you know, I do. my best workout. Yeah, maybe you do. I don't know, but you know, mm-hmm. if you look at the anthropology and you look at all the people that are talking here, humans wake up in the morning when the sun rises and they go to sleep when the sun sets. Is that a fair
3: summary? Oh, that's brilliant. And in fact, when I I didn't read the brief. <laughs> yes. One yes, I, 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 not I for me, I, John. I, <laughs> I didn't read the brief for this, this, this discussion properly. I thought you wanted me to give a talk. And so I got, I thought, well, I got all these slides together. One of my slides was um, a comparison between mice and humans. And so it's worth bearing in mind that it wasn't until 1987 and the Honmas from Japan actually showed that humans actually regulated their clocks by light. And that's because everybody had been using the sorts of light intensities that work so well in mice. And, Mm. and what the honomads did was, uh, 5,000 lux for eight hours of light. And they showed for the first time that humans would entrain to a light-dark cycle. So, Mm. you know, it, you know, it took, it took that as as recently as 1987, 88. And Mm. then, then we did some work uh, quite some time ago now on the thresholds for entrainment in, um, in, in mice. And a mouse would entrain to a light-dark cycle at 0.1 lux. Um, there's, there's some strain differences, but they can maintain entrainment at 0.1 lux. So mm. so mice, are pr- we, we are probably 5,000 to 50,000 times less sensitive. Now, one issue could be because we, of course, are diurnal and they are nocturnal. But there may be some other really interesting twist to this Hmm. which is we have as a species probably been looking into firelight for maybe about a million years Mm. and perhaps there was a very rapid evolutionary prerogative to desensitize our system uh, because otherwise we could get horribly confused by the artificial light that our ancestors were generating about a million years ago and that's why we may be uniquely very insensitive to light and require that robust external bright light exposure
0: i think there is something fundamental about with firelight in human evolution i just think Mm -hmm. that i don't think it's been studied enough i think there's something to do with the color of the light the way it 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 inspires romanticism and closeness and the i also believe there's something to the heat waves you talked about heat before we started recording i think this translates into why every northern culture in the world has some sort of sauna activity going on in the winter where they're exposing themselves to these heat waves at close distance that make them sweat i think there's there's a huge opportunity to study firelight and heat as it relates to people who live in northern climates and their health i think it's so important and yeah. um, you know anyway john over to unless russell you have something to comment on that i well, think it's no, another- I think- you're right I,
3: and i think it's it's a, it's again a really interesting issue because everybody tries to squeeze lighting into um a, a distinct set of categories mm. you know this is what uh, uh, regulates sleep this is what regulates the clock this is alertness um but actually other really important things like mood can be hugely influenced by the sort of the composition of the light the flicker of mm-hmm. the light and and actually perhaps we start to think about the global impact of light on a variety of different aspects of our biology. Hmm. And again, because of the advances in technology, we can do that. We can look at reaction times, we can look at skin conductance, we can measure, you know, hormones uh, 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 whilst we're we're measuring light exposure under a uh, 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 different light environments and so you know going back to the ecology of human light ex- exposure you know developing you know, these there they exist small spectrum radiometers um, we can have uh, 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 measurements of, of rest activity um, other measures of circadian parameters, levels of alertness you can use in our know, simple electrodes to get um, a sense of how alert you are or not under different lighting conditions. And we've got to t- take a much more holistic view, I think um, of, of, of this, of, of the impact of light.
2: Yeah, I mean, my feeling has always been, um, it's what the light is, is is enabling us to do. What you just said mm-hmm. about about mood, it's it, 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 if you're using light, to look at a news program on the television and you go to bed depressed, don't be surprised. Don't blame the light, blame the content.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: You know, yeah. if you, if you're using your TV set to, 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 to watch some uh, ambient forest creatures gamboling around and you go, oh, that's, oh, that was so good. I know I'm ready for bed now and away i know, I'll go. It's, it's not the light that's doing that. It's actually what you're, what the light is ena- enabling
3: you to feed. Well, I think that's why wildlife programs are so important. I mean, one, you know, everybody wants to know about the world, <laughs> rather. But you know, when you've got the beautiful voice of David Attenborough talking about a whale shark, mm. you know, I, <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm, I'm away. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like a fireside story. It's it, it, yeah. in a way, it, you know, if you, yeah. you yes. watch that at night, yeah, Yeah. Mm. You
2: know, the, 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 the idea of the, of the story around, um, around the campfire, mm. you know, John Carpenter's, the opening scenes of John Carpenter's fog. If mm. you, ha- if you can't remember it, just go and get the DVD and just oh, watch yes, the movie. Cause it's I, fantastic. I but you yeah. know, that, that, that telling that ghost story and there's the fire and there's all the kids mm. with their eyes bulging, absolutely, yeah. absolutely depicting life as we understand it, because it's what goes in And what happens once it's in there that means that those kids are never going to sleep tonight?
3: And that's us. Yeah, well, that's right. And just one one really lovely study um, within this context is and we were talking about sleep earlier, that tired people um, and you don't have to be very tired. Um, So one night of of poor sleep or no sleep, um, you fail to remember positive experiences, but remember the negative ones. Mm. And so what Oof. what tired people have is a negative salience. And if you think about it, if they're the memories that are being taken in, their whole worldview is being based upon a negative experience, which goes back to sort of the importance of sleep because it alters our worldview. Yeah.
0: You know, um, when, I, when I look at this stuff, I just see a mixture of frailties that's very difficult to untangle, you know? And, and when I have the honor, and it is an honor, Russell, to speak to people like you, and I've had it a couple times, Jennifer Veach, Dr. Jennifer Veach is one, Dr. Mark Ray, Dr. Marion Figueroa, and um, Andrew Wilkerson, and all sorts of different people I've been able to talk to. The, the impression I get with light is that we're like fish figuring out we're in the water or something, you know, mm. that we've been here all the time, but, and we don't know what this stuff is, but if we get out of it, we, we die, if we don't get it right, we're gonna die. Is that an apt comparison that you know science is at a threshold where now we're we really need to investigate what light is, what's the difference between electric light and natural light and why all this and darkness and why all this is important
3: to understand? Yeah, I think we're getting a bit more sophisticated about our understanding of light. And and just sort of a slight personal story. I mean, when we proposed in the early nineties that there was a third unrecognized photoreceptor within the eye didn't have the mm-hmm. solid evidence, but the data were consistent with that hypothesis. The vision community were outraged. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I had one person in the audience when I presented the data sort of shouting bullshit and walking out mm-hmm. and and the other, which was you know, we've been studying the eye for 150 years. Do you think we've really missed an entire class of photoreceptor? And um, uh, mm-hmm. The implication was God, you're arrogant. And in fact, it wasn't me who was being arrogant at all. I mean, I, I do tend, I do blend into arrogance sometimes. I will be the first to admit. But it was, you know, the the, the broader community who, who was supremely arrogant because they didn't have the bandwidth to think, well, hang on, maybe we haven't thought of this in the right way. Yeah, the lighting industry is in I, the same boat. Yeah, right and I think, I think, Michael, um, we are shuffling forward. We're becoming much more sophisticated about how different sorts of light exposure influences. It's not just vision. It's not just contrast perception, Mm. but it's mood, it's alertness, it's, it's emotion, it's circadian rhythms, it's sleep. And of course, all of these interact to essentially generate the behavior that we ultimately express.
0: The it's, you know, the light, John, the lighting industry is in the same boat as the people walking out on the presentation. By, you know, at, where you're saying to them, hey, great news, guys. We're going to have to replace all those light fixtures we, we did outside because of this new information that's coming. there are on. What information are you talking about? You're being ridiculous. This is outrageous. And it has, there's got to be, someone's got to study why humans have a hard time admitting they're wrong. I'd like to know the answer to that one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well we done. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we are Now's
2: the supreme,
3: time to be doing yeah. that. Yeah. 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 We are a desperately arrogant uh, species. I mean, my own domain. You know, the assumption sure. is we can do whatever we like whenever we like, and we because we've we've we can invade the night, we've we've assumed mm. therefore that sleep is dispensable. You sure. know, it's it's we haven't even yeah. given it a second thought, and it's only in recent years. Um, really, perhaps in the last 20 years, we're thinking, oh, hang on, maybe what we've done isn't as smart as we think we are.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, On that note. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we, I think many people, we don't, we don't. It's almost you know. There's so many atheists, and there's like a mechanistic view of the world, and a lot of people have lost their sense of spirituality. And one of the aspects of this show and is to restore that sublimity through the starry skies for people. That you know, yeah, you know, who you know, maybe the universe did start in a big bang, and you know, they got it all figured out at the end of the day. But life has meaning, and there's you know, we are a species, and we exist in a certain way. And when we deny that we're made in a certain way we this is we create all manner of problems for ourselves in the future you know when we deny that you know we're, we, what are you talking about you know humans can create all this light in Walmarts that are open 24 hours with parking lots lit up you know and they, and they you know more light is good and then you know you don't you can never have enough light i mean they don't even they they, they don't have rules on maximums for outdoor light yet i, I may have changed recently but You know, just that that reflects sort of that arrogance or that lack of um, the the boundarylessness of our arrogance, John. I'll let you ask a few more questions.
2: We've we've got well, I just just to pick up on what you've just said there. You know, we know that that outdoor lighting is, is now up for grabs, um, mm-hmm. that there's all kinds of concerns around the energy, cons- the wasteful energy consumption on outdoor lighting, mm-hmm. the amount of light that we produce, the kind of light we're producing, why we're producing it. And we are attacking all of the standards and we're attacking all of those lighting codes that have been written that say, well, you need that light to be able to do that. And then when somebody goes, well, no, you don't, you know, I, you know, I can drive down a country lane on moonlight. I don't need headlights, Mm. but you're going to tell me that, you know, that, that country lane should have street lighting as well as my headlights, Mm -hmm. crazy stuff. And, and, but we, 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 we need, for some reason as a species, we see, we seem to need certainty, but we haven't got the patience to wait for the real certainty. So we make up our own certainty and decide, well, Russell 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 said that that we need blue light, so so we'll put blue light everywhere. Yeah, we yeah. had we had one. I think we had one report on w- when when COVID first first kicked off, and everybody was talking about UVC, and somebody wrote a paper about the safe wavelength of UVC light. Mm-hmm,
0: there isn't one. And then all
2: actually. of a sudden, it's like everybody wants this 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 magic piece of of, of UVC LEDs, and it had come from nowhere, but you grab hold of it. And it's like you know he's not a prophet; he's a very naughty boy. That's really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This, this, this—we we grab hold of stuff because we. Some people are genuine and honest, and they think they can make a difference. Other people can go, we can make money out of this. Thank you. Watch it, John. But There's nothing
0: think, wrong with making a quick buck. Okay, just, just,
2: just <laughs> take it easy there. As, but as the man said, never give a sucker an even break.
0: There you go um russell uh you know i I think we've covered a lot here and and I want to give you an opportunity. We're coming up on almost an hour. It's been <laughs> a wonderful actual honor to speak with you um you know, do you have any final thoughts for the restoring darkness listeners um something that you want to let them know? I know that you summarized your book so they don't have to buy it, but we will list it. Scott, where it can be purchased? <laughs> Just telling them now you can purchase it. you can click the link at the bottom of the show notes or whatever. Any final thoughts, Russell,
3: yeah. I would I would make one and one philosophical one. One would be, I think we need to really have a sensible dialogue between the leaders in the lighting sectors, um, the physicists, the lighting engineers, uh, the biologists uh, across the spectrum um, about what we should be doing in terms of human lighting, uh, but also in terms of you know, artificial light at night and the impact upon our broader biology. Um, and I was, you know, reading this literature fairly, fairly recently, and just sort of seeing. I mean, we're all familiar with the disrupted orientation of of the of the baby turtles emerging because they see the city mm-hmm. lights in, in in the distance. We, I was just were just amazed that um, a spot, a pool of light uh, uh, from a, from a street lamp, um, can fool uh, a, an egg-laying insect that it's on a body of water, and it will start. Laying its eggs, and there's—I hadn't realized the huge impact it's—it's it's having on um, uh, on the insect populations, which of course are critical for the food chain. So it would be great to bring the the the, the, the light at night biology people together, the, the human needs and the lighting sector, artificial lighting sector. Together um, to get some, you know, coherent dialogue, and say, well, okay, what do we know, and what do we don't don't know, and it's fine to say we don't know this stuff, because that will then generate the next set of experiments, which, of course, is which is what we want. We want evidence-based information. The other the other observation was something that that, that you said, uh, uh, Michael, and and it really um, resonated with me uh, because of a discussion I had last night about the loss of generosity of spirit the loss of kindness and the the loss of constructive criticism that society has um slid into in the last 20 years and i'm terrified that the generation coming through don't won't even have much of an appreciation of what it's like to be a kind of a decent human being and Mm. that it's fine to disagree but but you don't have to polarize it to make it some some battle between different mindsets you know that's mm. the joy of science you discuss stuff you you shuffle forward on the basis of new knowledge so that was my bit of philosophy there sorry about that <laughs> well you know
0: what and and I, you know i'll just say this that one thing i love about the darkness restoration movement is that and i it has not been politicized there is no political party that's using this issue to beat the other party up or to claim that, you know, we're virtue signal using darkness restoration. I hope we can do some of that. You know, I saw a Twitter post, a guy said, you know, uh, it's crazy how people think, I think a lot of this is exacerbated by social media, the discourse uh, um, sort of deterioration is exacerbated on places where people can be nameless and faceless. I don't think anyone ever talked like that to someone to their face. Um, but there was a, he posted a picture and he said, capitalism is better than communism. And John, the reason why was that North Korea was completely dark at night and South Korea was completely lit up. And it shows you the perception, right? That light pollution (laughs) is a sign of good. Come on. Like, you know, I was looking at that. I'm just like, oh man, we need to turn this all around. And, you know, light pollution is not, should be the absolute signal and I, I hope in the future of people that are not behaving responsible with their energy, their light, their health, their, their wildlife, the ecology, and everything else. It should become the symbol of that because we can't see carbon dioxide. You know, you can see pictures of it, but you, everyone can see light in their cities and they can see light pollution. And so on that note, I'd like to thank everybody that's listening to this. Uh, We've made it to the end. And, you know, uh, Professor Russell G. Foster, uh, we thank him for coming on the show. What an honor it was for John and I to have an hour of his time. And you, the listener, we love you guys. Without you guys, this movement wouldn't have started, and it wouldn't be accelerating the way it is. So keep it up, all you folks out there. Go to RestoringDarkness.com. All of Russell G. Foster's information, books, websites, all that stuff will be on the RestoringDarkness.com website.
1: Thanks for listening. Look no further for dark-sky-friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding, or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.